tell me, who's been listening to the news recently about Facebook being taken to court? A whistleblower here or there saying that there's deep and um, bad things in the background of Facebook. And they've now changed their name and it's called, I think, for those IT people, I think it's called Meta, is that right? It's been changed to Meta. Well, actually, I'm going to become a whistleblower as well. I haven't yet put my case forward, but I had a birthday this week. And I cannot... If you want to know how bad it is to wake up for your birthday and see Facebook telling the whole world, happy Kerry's X number of birthdays, so everybody knows my age. So I want to know how I can take that off, because I've decided I don't mind celebrating birthdays, but I don't want the world to know how old I am now. Um, is Mallory here? She's probably, there she is. I just want to thank Mallory for her wonderful word last week. Hey, don't you reckon? All around how to be hungry and how to recognise hunger in ourselves and others. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah that says, The servant of God says, um, The Lord God has given me a tongue, that of a disciple. And that's what Mallory is. As one who was taught so that she could speak a word in season to those who are weary. And that God would waken her morning by morning to hear a fresh word from him so she could pass it on to others. What an amazing verse. That's in uh, Isaiah 50 verse 4 out of the Amplified. I just want to thank Mallory for her amazing input and work in there. It's always fun when you're preparing a message and no one really truly knows what you're hearing or speaking about today and then you get the prayer group going and they all just you know, hit target and you know, well, thank you, God. At least we're heading in the right direction. Last time I spoke, I've had a couple of se in the series on keeping the rumor of God alive and how inside each of us there's a deep longing to be able to rewrite our own story. And that is the gospel, the truth, the good news about Jesus that gives us that, that chance, that ability to go back and with God's help to rewrite our own story and get on track again in our lives. And for all of us, we know that, that salvation, uh, redemption, the cross of Jesus, you know, we know that it's God's work and not ours. We couldn't possibly do it on our own, like Dean said this morning. It says, I read somewhere that the modern view of the death of Jesus is he died out of, out, for our sins out of sympathy. The New Testament says nothing like that. He died on the cross for our sins so that he would be made sin for me. Take on all of my rubbish, all of my sin and all of humanity. Pour it onto himself that I could be acceptable to God and stand before him. And it was because of the obedience of Jesus to his father that I am made 100% acceptable to God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 reminds me that to me it's an unfair exchange on God's part. It's great for me, it's great for you, but I think it really is a pretty unfair exchange on God's part. It says that Jesus who knew no sin was made to be sin in exchange that we could become his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? First of all, he gets all of the sin of the whole world laid upon him. And then, even more than that, he then puts all of who he is into your life so that you can live for him and influence the world. My question when I read things like that is, so how 
What now? How do I make my life count? How do I align my life with the purposes of God if that is truly the story of God? I sometimes wonder whether we keep that secret to ourselves and we don't share it enough with others. I want to say that not only is salvation and the work of the cross the work of God, but I want to bring in perspective today and my message is to say that so is the transformation into the image of God. That is God's work as well. And Dean brought it to our attention that many of us start the first part, but we get into the second part where we need to be transformed into his image, and then we start working. And then we start lining up and saying, oh my goodness, this is what God wants, and look where I am, and oh, useless, etc., etc." Um, In 2 Corinthians Oh, no, sorry, not in 2 Corinthians. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount recently? This is just really to make you feel really happy. The Sermon on the Mount, okay? The Sermon on the Mount is found in, in Matthew 5 and five and chapters 5 and 7. Now, if you really want to feel bad about yourself, feeling like, well, heck, I'm not really making it on the front of being transformed into the image of God, have a look at all those things in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount that says, blessed are those who... Um, who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those, and it just goes on to all these things that, that, that are peacemakers, that um, all the things that we'd like to be. Blessed are those who mourn. None of us want to be mourning loss, but God says, blessed are those who mourn. And then it goes on to say, now this is what I really want you to be. I want you to be salt and light in the world. And if you've got one of those wonderful Bibles that um, has the little headings instead of merging it all in and getting lost in the text, it then says, now this is the way I want you to live. Now, if you're angry, look at this. If you ever come across things that are difficult in your life in the area of lust, this is the standard I want you to keep. What about the areas of keeping your oath? How many of us have said we'd do something and never got round to it? God says, this is my standard. Then he goes on to say, look, if you're treated badly, this is what I want you to do. Put your hands behind your back and not retaliate. That's easy, isn't it? It just goes on and on and on. And then it goes on and says, love your enemies. The people who treat you the worst, I want you to love. By the time you've finished reading that and wiped your brow, um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, if Jesus is to regenerate me, this is, this is a bit of a um, uh, translation of it. If Jesus is to regenerate me, what, the pro- what is the problem he's up against? Well, basically, I'm not really that holy. And if all that Jesus can do is tell me I must be holy, his teachings, including all those things on the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes, just strike a deep sense of despair inside my heart, and I feel doomed to failure. But what we saw before, that the cross was not about Jesus taking our sin and making us right before God. He puts his very life within us. And it's that life that he's speaking to. It's that life he's speaking to you and, me, you and me that he wants to be the regenerator of. He's put his very nature inside. And if he's put that inside for me, I want to explore that further because it's not about trying to reach a standard. It's about trying to connect with the life of God within me. And that's a game changer. I lived a lot of my life in my early 20s so zealous for God 
that when I heard that if I wanted to be really truly useful for God, I needed to fill all these criteria. So I tried and I tried and I tried. And I know some of you have done that. You've heard what you should be doing and you're so just... Every time you think about where you're at, there's this huge gap. I want to bring some revelation today into your heart that it's not just um, that we're given the standard. We have the life of God within us. This is some of my learnings on that subject recently. An answer as to how God's life is being formed in me. The teaching of Jesus is meant to be applied to the life that he puts within me. The New Testament teaching on regeneration or transformation and change in our lives is the process of Jesus being formed in me. Fancy name for it is sanctification in the theological terms. But it's about the life of God being formed in me. The call of God is like to like. God, when he says, I want you to be like that, he's calling to the like within me of himself, and he's wanting his life to flourish in me. And he's the regenerator. He's the power. He's the source. He's all that I need in order to fulfill what it means to be transformed so not only is redemption God's work, but I want to bring some liberty into the house today. And so is being transformed into the image of God. It's God's work and we work with him. We need to now focus our direction away from struggling to meet the criteria that God seems to have put for us and shift it to the topic of divine occupation. How much of my life at present am I letting God into? How much of my life am I allowing God to come inside and regenerate me? I saw on the news the other day um, that there's an, there's an outcry at the moment because one of the MIQ facilities um, has got one person in it. And it's a facility that can probably take 30 or 40 people. Now, for some reason, there's been a technical glitch, and there's one person with COVID in this MIQ facility and a whole lot of empty rooms. Do you know what that's doing to the lives of many, many other people? People who are waiting in crisis to get to New Zealand to be reunited. For some reason, there's been something gone wrong, and I sometimes wonder if our lives are a little bit that, like that. We've got loads of rooms in our lives, and we let God occupy one. And all these other things that he could touch. Do you know, I read also that we come to God easily on the things that we're not ashamed about. And that we want to negotiate with him. But it's the things when he calls us to come to him that we hold back are the things we need to address. And I want to say that I don't want my life to be like that MIQ facility. Because the impact is not just on me, but the lives of the people around me that my life cannot be an influencer to others unless I'm actually allowing God into those areas of my life. I've got three points today, only three, not ten, um, on what, did, what does divine occupation look like? There should be a slide at the back. I had to choose between three slides this morning, and I, I looked at a pretty butterfly with a whole lot of colours and how it's changed and comes from a little mothy thing and goes into a butterfly. But actually, I think this sort of territory thing is more what I'm after. 
how do we have, how does divine occupation in my life actually work? Well, three things. One, I want you to know that divine occupation is far-reaching. It's bigger than you could ever have imagined. It's not just an issue about my individual rescue. It's far more extensive, like I said, of that MIQ facility. If I don't let God occupy divinely areas of my life, others around me are missing out. There are people who will never see or ever think about the things of God because I'm just not able to be an influencer. We need to widen our perspective as to God's repurposing of our life. It's not just about you. If you go away with nothing else, it's not about you. It's about God working in my life and in the whole world around me. And it's God engaged in the purposes of all of humanity. 1 John 2 verse 2 says, And Jesus himself is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, but not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God, it says, that taketh away the sins of the world. I think we need to revisit that. We need to get a much bigger picture of why we need to work with God on this divine occupation in our lives. It is far, far bigger than ourselves. I was sharing, you know, COVID-19 COVID is bringing a whole lot of reality into people's lives. I was sharing with a friend who was yet to find faith, but I'm building this great friendship. We get on really well. And when she found I was speaking, she asked me what I was speaking on. And we got onto the subject of how her, how her generation and the generation of maybe this side, um, you know, You've always been able to solve it. You just have to work harder or faster. You just need to get in control of your life. You can control everything that you want to control, and it normally works. Now, my father's generation learned that that wasn't true. They had a couple of wars to deal with, etc. But this generation and my generation, we're pretty cool at being in control. What's COVID-19 done to our world? It is just amazing that the modern world for the first time collectively is no longer in control. It cannot solve it just by being resourceful and clever. A little virus that started somewhere that's unseen to the naked eye has forever changed the landscape of our world. Now, I was talking to my resident the theologian in our household, and he said that there is, um, there is somebody, I can't remember his name, that is speaking out and, and trying to clarify as a church how we th should be theologically thinking from here on as the landscape of our world has changed. How do we respond? How do we think as a Christian church? I've recently picked up again um, good old Tom Wright, and I've been reading Tom Wright on Ephesians, and, you know, it just blows your head away. I mean, we're very fortunate, aren't we, for the, for the fact that, you know, he, he mentions John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and how traditionally the church has sort of looked at life as a bit of a battle and, you know, you come to God and you, you work your way through life and then at the end, the most amazing surprise of it all is you die and you get to heaven and you live forever with God. I love what 
Tom Wright's just been saying. He said, he said, that's not what he reads in Ephesians. That's not what he reads in Ephesians. He said, God, after all, is the creator, and he has no interest in leaving the earth to rot and make do for all of eternity with only one half of his original creation coming together in heaven. He said that let's get rid of that kind of theology. A new heaven, and it was a bit of a revelation to me, a new heaven and a new earth are going to be made and Jesus is going to reign in both. And I imagine they're probably hard to know the difference when that happens. But it's not. we're not just working through life and doing the hard yards to go and sit on a cloud and do a whatever, harp or whatever. We're here for the hard yards. We're here because God has got a purpose in this life for us to do. I was grizzling to Pete the other day that that Facebook birthday date, I said, this is terrible. I said, I'm really getting old. I said, I hate this. I don't like this at all. I said, life, look what's left in my life. And fortunately, Peter has a, he's really grasped that kind of Tom Wright stuff. He said, Kerry, this is just a practice run. This is just a practice run. The best of your life is yet ahead of you. The best of your life is ahead of you. We need to get a heavenly perspective on this. We need to start looking at uh, the way God sees life on this earth and uh, be transformed. I found the other day something interesting. Um, It actually comes out a little bit of a family story that makes you laugh. Um, Tim's little girl, Fifi, um, said something to her father the other day. She'd been to Sunday school and she'd learned about God as her heavenly father. And it was really exciting, real true revelation to her heart. So when she comes home to her father and her father decides that it's time to tell her off and do something, do you know what she does? She says, you're a fake. You're not the real father. I found out at Sunday school who it is. It's not you. Goodness me, I felt like saying to Tim, yeah, you're the same person who, who wrote a letter to the tooth fairy when your first tooth found out to, fell out to say that the price wasn't actually at the right height. Si- right, it needed to be doubled. And so he's just getting what he reaped. When it comes to salvation and the message that we're sharing to the world, we need to be careful that we don't mush it all down to this loving Heavenly Father that, you know, just lets things go you know, pass because he loves you. We enter the kingdom of God with the rugged and devastating truth that we cannot, um, but except for the death of Jesus, we cannot even communicate with God. But after that, we start to get a revelation. It's for those who are saved that the revelation of the father heart of God comes. Now, the heart of any father is for their children to grow up. The heart of every father is for their children to, do, to come into the full destiny and purpose that they've been designed for. And I want to suggest today that the divine occupation of God in your life is part of that, a central part of that. He's asking us to grow up and take our eyes off only ourselves and start looking at the world around us because that is part of his purpose. Divine occupation is not only far-reaching and much bigger than you or I and has a lot at, at, um, at stake, I want to say that divine occupation of your life, being transformed into the image of God, is costly. It will cost you every single thing you have to surrender your life to God. Not just when you come to faith. I sometimes wonder if we just water down that message 
The cross is the entry point. We stay there forever, but we've got to ask the what for now question, and it's costly. We have to surrender, and it's a battle. Believe me, it's a battle. It's a real battle. Some of the things that I've been thinking about is I reread or heard the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18. Do you realize if you think about that story, it's a very simple story. A man comes along, he's pretty together, he's got life all sussed, he's got plenty of finance in the bank, and he comes along. And I was thinking about his story. Do you know, it's not really a story of faith or belief. He knew who Jesus was. He came to him and he called him who Jesus was. It was an issue about how to be a disciple of Jesus. And was he willing to give up the right to himself. And it says in some translations, I love it, it says that Jesus loved him. And the young man walked away sorrowful, his head down and bent because he realized, I've heard half the story, I know who you are, but now you're asking me something really, really difficult. And I'm struggling. What a sad, sad story. But this is the reality of our lives. This is the reality of our lives. I get very saddened by the number of people who start and then fall away. They come to faith and they're all excited, but they were never told that the cost would be their very life. That they would need to give all that they are to God, not worrying about how to fix it all up, not worrying about how to make it all better, but just literally, I give up. I'm yours. Do what you like with me. Or I hate it too. The other thing that drives me to despair is people who start that journey of transformation and get up here and then plateau. And that's where they live the rest of their life. I love the excitement of waking up day by day, never knowing what God's going to ask me to do. How is it work in my life? And if I'm willing to pay the cost, life is just the most amazing, amazing adventure. When you think about in the Old Testament in historical times, when a king conquers a land, what's the first thing the king does when they get into a territory to mark their territory and say to the enemy, I'm the king, I'm the person in control? It's often the flag, isn't it, that gets put down in there and it basically says, this is the new ruler, this is like King Jesus coming into our lives, the, sta the, the flag is there and it says, I now belong to him. But do you know there's so many stories, and we know in the reality of life, that just putting our hand up and putting the flag out there and saying, I'm now a Christian, doesn't mean that the enemy's not lurking around the corner. It doesn't mean that all the territory has suddenly been transformed into what God purposed. It's a journey. You put the stake in the ground and you say, God, I'm willing to follow you. I surrender my life. But there's so much work to be done to transform that life, to be repurposed the way that he has planned. I think about it as a bit of a circle, okay? I, it's my circle of occupation, of, of divine occupation. If you think of the circle of your life, I think many of us come to faith and we invite God into that circle and it's like one whole side of that circle is God and down the middle is me. And we kind of interact across the, ver across the vertical li the line occasionally and we have a few discussions, but he's here and I'm there. Living in my life, we come to church and, oh yeah, he 
gets, I interact with him, etc., etc. But there's a lot of tension across that midline. That is not God's plan and purpose. The plan and the purpose he has is that full circle of my life is just permeated with God. That you can't tell the difference that I'm in there, but he has come into every single part of my life. And there's not a dividing life. And I don't separate my life. It's all meshed with him. And that, I, that people can start to see the life of God within me and that I am being transformed. What I'm learning about that subject is giving up the right to myself is not only essential when I come to the cross and come and meet Jesus for the first time, but I need to give up the right to myself and surrender constantly to him. A constant, frequent repentance and turnaround of my life when God brings things into my mind. I am constantly having to do U-turns, and so are you if you want your life to count. It's not a cohabitation model, but transformation is more like a process of osmosis, where the more that I spend time with God, the more of his word comes in, and I'm soaked in who he is, and, and it's, it, he just infiltrates all those areas of my life. God's was life within me, impacting and changing the world and the lives around me. Now, I also, Mallory's message was wonderful the other day, and I loved the, um, the other day when we did the um, little interview thing, didn't you? Wasn't that great hearing the story of different people and how they make faith relevant to their lives? Well, one of those ladies um, is Kathy, and she is a very significant friend in my life. We have gone through many things in life together. And one of the main connection points that's always been is our theology for life is, is very similar. Now, I want to say, and I want to honour Cathy, that I love the fact, uh, my ears always prick up when somebody says something about wrestling with God. That it's not just easy. It's not like God just drops things into my heart and then I just head in that direction and there's no wrestle I love the way that Kathy talked about that when life is difficult, she goes back to God and she wrestles until she lets his perspective come into her life and change her. If you think that you're the only one sitting here today wrestling with God over something that's not fair or something he's asking you to do, you're not. This is the normal way of the Christian life. We have God in our life and he's trying to transform our life and take more territory for him but it's a battle, and we need to rise up to that battle and support one another and recognize what he's after, a plan far bigger than ourselves. I want to finish on my third point. So first of all, divine occupation is far-reaching, far bigger than me. Occup divine occupation is so costly, it will cost you your life at all stages of your Christian life. And I want to finish on the fact that divine occupation inevitably involves suffering and pain. I was listening to Rima the other day, a guy called Jeff Vines. I, haven't, I don't know if anybody else has heard of him, but he, he's, he's a preacher. I think he's from New Zealand, but he, he's on Rima a few occasionally. I was driving my car and listening to him the other day, and he said, the difference between the modern world and the early Christian church is that the modern culture, we just want to avoid adversity and suffering at all costs. Like I said, with COVID-19, this time we've been beaten, okay? But basically, we look at bad things, hard things, costly things, and we just 
want to run away from it because we think adversity, in fact, the very worst part of it is I'm astounded. Now, maybe I'll be put to test one day myself, but I'm astounded when people hit adversity that one of the first things they think of is that God's abandoned them. Go back to your theology. Go back to the New Testament and have a read. The New Testament Christians, in, in James 1, I count it joyful. Golly gosh. I count it joyful when I encounter problems. Why does it say that? Because in those problems and in the difficulties of life, I will be transformed. I give you the challenge of reading James 1 again today. Go home and have a look at it. Divine occupation inevitably involves suffering and pain. First Peter uh, 4 verse 19 says, Let those who suffer according to the will of God, yes, commit their souls to his good keeping. Those who suffer according to the will of God, Commit their souls to his good keeping. God has not abandoned you in the hard times of life, whatever you're facing. He has never, he never will abandon you. He is working in you. Find like Kathy where that space of wrestling is and go on your knees before him and find him in your pain. I heard a quote recently that said, if you ever wonder if you could be in the most intense time of suffering and still be in the will of God, take another look at the cross of Jesus. I'll say that again. If you ever wonder if you could be in the most intense time of suffering and also be in the will of God, look no further than the cross of Jesus. I want to finish on the, uh, another challenge of the potter and the clay. Go into your Bible and have a look at all the passages that talk about a potter with the clay. Isaiah 29, 16, 64, 8, Romans 9, verse 21. Do you know there's a stage when the, the clay is being molded where the potter sort of thinks... It's just not quite, it just needs to be reshaped. Now, I don't know if there's any potters in the house today, but there is a, an actual process, and it has a name, where the, play, the clay is picked up off the wheel, and it's literally thrown on the ground and goes flat. And then the potter lovingly picks it up again and says, now I can work with that. I don't know about you, but my life's had a few of those things happen to it. And knowing that the bigger picture is at stake is not about me, but about God's purpose and transformation in me. I think, as I said before, in our modern Christian world, we're too, too quick to, to, to cry wolf when we get into adversity, instead of remembering that we're on the, where our lives are being shaped and molded in the hands of the potter. Do you know that the lives of those who influence you the most, who in many ways are the most Christ-like people around you, are almost always the people that don't know it? And those people who don't know it but show it, like the Ben Polsons of this world, I want to say to you that it's been inevitable that the divine occupation of God in his life involved suffering and pain. You ask him a story. 
I want to challenge you today in our church community. If you think that there's someone a step ahead of you that seems to just really, when you're with them, you just feel the presence of God, hang on to their coattails. Take them out for a coffee and ask them why. Find out what their journey's been like because I can assure you that they're living with the perspective much bigger and far-reaching than themselves. They've paid the cost, the radical cost to be transformed and their lives have at times involved suffering and pain. Finish on one further quote. Jesus never measured his life by how or where he was going to be of greatest use. God places his saints where they will bring the most glory to him. And we are incapable of judging where that might be. God places his saints where they're going to bring him the most glory. And we're incapable of knowing exactly where that might be. Bless you. Let me just pray for you as we, as Dean might be going to do that as well. Father God, I just thank you that it is your word that brings truth. Father, I thank you that words are empty unless they carry your truth with them. Father God, I pray that whatever was of you today will reach deeply into the hearts of my fellow Christians amongst us. And those who have yet to find you, may they be called to know you and be willing to pay the price. For those that have just started the journey and are finding this so, so hard, almost as if they didn't know it was gonna be this difficult, Father God, bless them abundantly. Give them the strength, I pray, to do a job where their life is fully surrendered to you. In Jesus' name.